so Neville, you made a record number of appearances for Everton, record number of appearances for Wales. You won the league twice, you won the FA Cup twice, the Cup Winners' Cup. You were the player of the year, Football Writers' Player of the Year, and yet you almost weren't a professional footballer. No, um, I did loads of jobs, to be fair, when I was younger. And I was probably about three foot six. If you look at all my team pictures, the centre-half tower above me, even from, you know, in school. I didn't start growing until I left school, really. Um, and in that year, I did a lot of gymnastics and I, and I went working on building sites and things like that, and it sort of built me up. But before then, people always looked at me and said it was too small. Wrexham said I was too scruffy. Probably got a fair point. Too about scruffy? That's what, that's what one of the lads told me. He said, yeah, we, we'd sign you, but you're too scruffy. <laughs> All right, OK, that's got a lot to do with it. But that was one of the things I got told. That's an important attribute a keeper should have, looking, looking sharp. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. So when you look at a modern-day one, yeah, I suppose it is. But <laughs> maybe they didn't have white boots or green hair. But that was one of the reasons why I got told. But you know, I, I think I was really happy the way I came through. Mm. Because it gave me the chance to actually have a grounded life and... I appreciate what I had. And obviously, once you've worked for a living, a proper job, then you know if you don't work, you don't get paid, you don't, get, you don't eat, you don't have a place to live, you can't support your family. So it, it does make a difference, I think, and it makes you appreciate when you do get to become a footballer that there's a good balance to be had. You know, you work really hard because people are paying you to work hard. It's a really good point. You look at athletes, say, in America, one of the reasons some people suggest they're maybe relatively a bit more grounded is because they go through college and actually become a pro four or five years later than their counterparts in European football. We've got a problem in this country with academies and things like that. It's, it's, it's really difficult to pin your hopes on one kid. You know, In the old days, you used to have an A and a B and a C team. Mm. Uh, it's difficult now for, for kids and people want success straight away now. So to put any money into, into grassroots football is clubs see it as a, as, as a waste of time. A lot of the times they'd rather buy it, ready-made product. I suppose that's part of the world we live in, but I think you do need a good grounding because... What else have you got to hang on to? You need a good life balance. You look at the players sometimes today and in the past, you need a good life balance. You need to be able to enjoy yourself but, but put your work in. And I find it difficult now to look at, look at the pros and go, OK, do you put enough work in? Because I don't think they do. And I think one of the reasons why they don't is you have too many people telling them not to. They have all these fitness people telling them not to work hard. They have a psychologist telling them that they can't do this. They have the nutrition people saying you've got to eat this and by the time they do all that there's not much left in a day whereas right. you know and they say oh everybody's fitted but they're not fitted are they because they can only play three games a month if they've got, if they've got a problem it's psychological but they've got all psychologists I think, I think you've got to strip it back to basics football's about people and, and people work in different ways you've just got to find the right blend of people yeah you want, you want them to be fit but when, when you get to a situation where you have to push yourself that extra bit there's nothing in the tank sometimes because you never push yourself in training. Sometimes you have to push yourself in training to know that you get some out of you. I worked really hard. I wanted to be the best I could be because what's the point of me going into a, a, a profession where, you know, I'm going to come second best? What's that? You know, when you come to interview me, do you want to be doing a rubbish interview or the best it can be? You want to be the best because that's what you get paid for and that's, you know, you can only dictate your career really. If I'm rubbish, the club get rid of me. You practised that as a player on match days as well. You used to get to the ground yeah. earlier than everybody else. That was part, part of my build-up to the game, though. Yeah. You know, one of the most stressful things in football is getting to a match, especially a home game. If no, you've got, if you've got, no, I don't think no, but it's, it's the things that can go wrong on the way. So if I'm there two hours, three hours before, I'm there. Right. I don't have to worry about getting there. I don't have to worry about whether I break down, whether I get stuck in traffic whatever the reason is, I'm there early, I can just chill out, have a bath and get my head straight for the game. If I'm panicking to get there in the last 10 minutes, I'm all stressed up before I start. So the idea is you go into the game relaxed and you, you build up from sort of 2 o'clock till 3 o'clock. You don't have to worry about anything till then, so why would I stress myself out when I don't have to? Did many of your teammates share that approach? Um, there were some early, uh, early people. I always got onto the ground 12 o'clock. And had a bath and just chilled out and moved to the radio. A few got there early, but early to them was probably quarter past one instead of half past one. <laughs> so, yeah, but people have their own way doing it. People, some people, you know, come late because that's what they like. Mm. And I think sometimes the way the rules go can affect certain people. You know, they'll be there an hour and a half before kickoff. If you don't want to be there till an hour before kickoff and you get changed, you get on with it, it's psychologically that ain't doing you much favours, is it? So, so, you know, sometimes if we played away, 
I would go down with the kit man at 10 o'clock and I'd stay down there. So I couldn't be bothered coming back. And it depended on who was in charge, whether I had to listen to a load of old rubbish. So we were better off staying down there and get a Saturday for dinner and staying down there, to be fair. So. We'll talk about your managers in a bit. Just back to the question of when you became a pro, at least when you were signed to Everton from Bury. What, you were 22? 21, 22? Just going on to 22, yeah. yeah 21, did, yeah. Do you have a doubt that you would become a professional player? Well, when I left the Winsford for Bury, I was on less money than I was hog carrying. So I thought, well, what's the worst going to happen now? I can go. If I'm no good, I'll come back to the buildings. Luckily, I got there and I did okay. And when Everton came in, I thought, well, what's the worst going to happen? I'm not good enough for them and I can come back to Bury because I know I've already proved I can play at this level. So I always had a safety net, really. You know, I don't really be working on the buildings until I'm 96 or whatever, but, you know, I always had that. But if I don't go, I'll never know. Right. So I think sometimes you've got to go and find out. Yeah, you know, this is what I'm trying to talk to the kids about, and you know, even young footballers. They, it's better to go and have a go than never go at all. And I, and I, when I used to play Sunday League when I retired and before I retired, you hear the people, oh, I could have been a pro, but for this, that, and the other, no, actually, it wasn't. It's because you never went. It's always the me. It's always yeah, the me it's always, yeah, it's always, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but don't forget, in my day, people don't know what hamstring was. <laughs> don't just get on with it. Now they know every injury under the sun because we keep getting filled with it. But yeah. you know, think, things change, and I, I do think sometimes, you know, you look at it and you go, "What's the worst can happen?" Mm. We go and try it. We're talking of opportunity. I want to talk a bit about Wales because, uh, as we mentioned, you had a fantastic international career, but you never got the opportunity to play in a big tournament with Wales. Is that one of the, the big regrets you might have about your career? No, because mine's very, very black and white. If we'd have been good enough, we'd have got there. We weren't good enough. But it must bother you, though, that you never got to play in a World Cup final. But, uh, not really. No? No, because uh, if we were good enough, we'd have got there. I was just thinking, if you're good enough, you, you, you either win things or you don't. And we weren't good enough, so we didn't win it. We didn't get through. And I went, just, what else can you do? I could sit here and worry about the World Cup. What for? I've never played in it. I ain't missed it. I've never been there. So I suppose it would have been a nice experience. But at the same time, I always think that as a group, if you're not good enough, you don't get there. We might have had some really good you know, players, but overall we weren't good enough. What about the European Cup? Because obviously you were part of a great Everton team and for very sad reasons, you weren't able to compete in the European Cup. Does that frustrate you? It frustrates me that the government were a bunch of cowards because you know, they could have stuck up for us because for some reason I'm absolutely sure that British fans weren't the only troublemakers in Europe. The Germans are rough, the Dutch are rough, the Italians are rough. So you know that now the Turks are bonkers. So you've got a whole mix of people, but for some reason, oh, let's get them out. And I think sometimes it's to do with um, British teams winning everything. Really? Yeah, I do. You know, look, look, look at FIFA UEFA now. I, mean, I wouldn't trust them to lie straight in bed. <laughs> I wouldn't, in all fairness. Just, just what they are. They are a bizarre organisation that don't take football seriously. They killed grassroots, or they're trying to kill grassroots. They've killed any integrity that they had at the top level. And when you look at him now, it's at Platter, you're going, Del Boy in disguise. <laughs> it's just Del Boy. What's the solution then? Just get rid of him, get some integrity back, get someone as sensible. You, you can see where the World Cup's going. You can see the World Cup's going to go to hot country. Mm-hmm. They'll probably end up having two drinks breaks, one on each half. So effectively, you have three breaks, which will make more money because the adverts. Commercials, yeah, and I, I think it will go to four quarters. Mm. It should, and then you, there should be some process where you go first, second, and third. And if Qatar can't come up with the goods, it should go to the next country. But the next country should we be preparing? You know, they, they should have a different system where countries are ready. You know, like Brazil trying to build stadiums, Qatar is trying to build stadiums. Oh, why don't they give them enough time to build the stadium yeah, in the first place without killing people? <laughs> you know, there's people dying there, and they just they seem to be oblivious to that. Casting a blind eye, yeah. Yeah, I know. If, you know, you've got a Russian thing where you've got Ukraine, and it's really political. Are they going to pull that off Russia? <laughs> Not a chance. Not a chance. So I, I think I do think it's, it's, a, it's a poor effort at the moment for them. Mm. They just need to clean their act up. I mean, all that money, and they go and give some money to Brazilians... Well, there, was, there, was, there was hundreds of Brazilians dying during the World Cup. Loads of them died during the World Cup. You know, kids everywhere, everything. And this should, this should just be a better way of dividing that money. Why should the World Cup be about 
all that money going to FIFA because they don't do enough with it. Mm. But they don't give it back enough because they all have their lovely offices, their lovely cars, their lovely way of life. And I do think what's really important if you've got the top bear that you really look after the bottom and they don't look after the bottom because Wales grassroots are dying, England grassroots are dying. The way it is at the moment, commercially, no one gives a monkeys. The big clubs don't care. UEFA don't care and FIFA certainly don't care because they're all after the next World Cup, the next European Championships, the next Champions League. No one gives a monkeys. You've got to remember that grassroots is grassroots and that's where everybody comes from, whatever country. And it's great to give emerging countries World Cups, not a problem with that, to try to boost you know, football in that country. But give them the opportunity to do it right and give them the time to do it right and give them the expertise to do it right. And if they do mess up, have something in reserve. And, and, and make sure that the system is fair. So maybe you just go continents. Just go continents. Right? One of you in this. Nobody else bid. Just mm-hmm. this. You bid. I don't see what's wrong with that. You talked about fairness and, and bringing that back to the European Cup and Everton not being allowed to, to play in it. What was the mood like in the Everton camp for those years? And what did the, your teammates think about it? Or was there a divided opinion or did everybody look at it the same way? It's difficult. I think. I think if that game was played now, somebody would look at the stadium and say it wasn't fit for purpose. But no one's ever been brought to justice on that. Mm. I look at the people that died. Imagine giving Italians and Scousers beer in the morning, and then I expect them not to fight. Two volatile sets of people who are never going to fight. There's always going to be a chance of trouble in them sort of games because mm. the history says there might there's a chance of trouble. Why not have extra police? Why not segregate them? Why not have no beer near the ground? It's done much better these days. That game would never, or that that thing would never happen now, because because of all the way, the improvements. So was there frustration then from you and, and your teammates? Uh, about I, I, what was allowed to? Well, a lot of people go, "Well, you must blame Liverpool Football Club." It's nothing to do with Liverpool Football Club. It was our government couldn't give a monkeys? RFA couldn't give a monkeys? They never supported us. We'd have gone on to dominate Europe probably for the next five, ten years. We'd have been a, a massive, massive, massive club now. We, we wouldn't be in the situation we are in now. So I'm here, we're still trying to catch up with everybody else now. That that ruined a lot of things to a certain extent. Time. We couldn't attract the players. We lost our manager. We lost our players. Yeah, there was a feeling of, of, of everything being unjust. But then when you look what happened, people's lives are we losing in Europe. Not much contest really, is there? Sure. So when you look at it now, yeah. But then when you look at deeper, why did the government want us out of Europe? Why did RFA not back us that much? And probably why, why didn't our club at the time kick up more of a fuss? We just accepted it. Why didn't we appeal? And they're the things that, you know, when you go back to you, look at and you think, well, I don't know. Yeah. I really don't know. The government, maybe because they, they were trying to get into Europe or whatever it was at the time, they were having problems. Because I've never been anywhere. South America, kidnap, shoot, murder. Chase the referees. Well, why aren't they all banned? No one bans any of them, do they? Mm, not consistent. No, so that's what I'm saying about FIFA and UEFA. Yeah. Well, FIFA especially, they get away with that. We don't have to take part in the game, we get banned. Yeah. How, how was that fair? Yeah. You lived through the Hillsborough tragedy as well on Merseyside, um, which must have been an incredibly difficult time being in the city of Liverpool um, how did you deal with that and how did you deal with such a, a traumatic experience well, at the same time we played an FA Cup final against Liverpool which again <laughs> what's the point Yeah. Why, why didn't you just award the cup to Liverpool I think most people morally would have said yeah just give them a cup yeah. or let's just not have a cup final just leave it yeah, look, we all want to win medals, but there's a right way to win a medal and there's a wrong way to win a medal. No, if we'd have won that game, it would have been the biggest anticlimax, I think, on Merseyside. It was just a thing we had to go through. I mean, maybe it give people closure, but, but I don't know. I, I think the only thing it did do is, is, is make... give Kenny Daglish a bigger legendary status. Because I thought the way... When looking across part, the way he handled it was just... Magnificent, and the way the club handled it was brilliant. Now, obviously, Everton did all we could to support that, but when you look at what they went through, you've got to take your hats off to them because even today, you know, they're still fighting and they shouldn't be fighting. 
You know, and I looked, I looked at Kenny, and you know, he drew 4 4, and he walked away. I think, I don't blame him for that. Do you know what I mean? How you've stuck at that, that so long, it's just unbelievable. And I think, I think when you look at that and you're thinking, that sort of sums up Liverpool for me. You know, they go and there's an injustice, but they fight, they fight, they fight, and finally get justice. But he, he, he just went, he was fantastic in my eyes anyway, but he went up another notch because the way he handled himself, the dignity he showed, and the dignity that the people showed in the face of what now we all know is lies. And people got away with lies, and now they're getting caught out, and it's great. You know, well, let's hope they all get done. Mm. But we shouldn't have to live with that. So there's been a lot of tragedies on Merseyside. Mm. But the one thing Scousers do do, they pile through it and they don't they don't back off for anybody. And that's what I like about the city. That's to be an Everton or Liverpool player is really difficult because if you don't try every week, you get absolutely hammered. And that's the right way it should be. And you get hammered in several ways. Yes, you get abuse, yes, you get booed, but you don't have to get an awful lot of humour in it. And that's their way of dealing with things. But it's such a de- you have to be determined to play in Liverpool and you have to be consistent and you have to have a real good sense of humour because you're not always going to do well and people let you know. But I think that's... It's a city where you have to work hard and you have to earn your money. You have to be a bit streetwise. But at the end of the day, they want to see you try every week and you to have a bit of class and a bit of steel. And that's what they like. They, they like people who can play, but they like people who can fight. What's your relationship like with the Everton fans? Brilliant. Plus, I do think I understand them because I'm, I'm a working-class lad, a working-class place. Oh, it's not a big city. I didn't know it's never been a city, but compared to Liverpool, it's nothing. But you, you can see when we had the local lads in, the local lads could half get it because they were expected to be better than everybody else because... Yeah, but you know what the city's like. You know what our club's like. You should know better. You should be doing better. And it's really hard for local lads to make really good in his, you know, his own club. Um, there hasn't been that many come through. You know, Wayne Rooney probably, but then he, he sort of killed it a bit. Ross Barkley now having the same chance. You've got Stevie G and, and obviously Jamie Carragher. Been brilliant over there. Were you disappointed that Rooney moved on when he did? I was I disappointed. Yes, I was disappointed, but could I understand it? Yeah, of course I could. Oh... As a football, you want to be successful. But you were very successful, and admittedly, Everton were a more successful team when you were playing for them, but you didn't move. No, I think, I think sometimes it's, it's different. It's a different situation sometimes. For me, it was like home for me. Now, I'd, I don't think I'd won stuff, and so I was out the other side, and obviously 10 years later, I won another thing, But so, so I had to keep going. But sometimes, if, if you... For him, it was a Champions League, I think, being in Europe. Being in Europe. Well, sometimes I'm, I was prepared to stick and say, well, it can only get better. You know, and when it was good, it was brilliant, but we can get better, we can get better, and it was nice to see the club progress. And sometimes you, you go, actually, I'll go. But then again... Were you ever tempted to move? <laughs> not, not really, no. No, because... I, there were never any close calls then? No, not really. No, I didn't speak to anybody really. But at the same time, I didn't have a million advisors in my ear right. saying a good move, good move, yeah, good move. Oh, it's a good move that because I need holiday. It's a good move that because I need a brand new car. Good move that because I need a house in Morocco. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I, did, I didn't really have that. I didn't have somebody bending my ear, and I wasn't a young lad. You know, I was when I first got there. But when I, when we were successful, I was been around the block a bit. Yeah, that's why I knew roughly where. And don't forget, I'd been out on loan at Port Vale. I started at Perry. And I'm thinking, well, where's home? When 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 you don't get a feel, when I drive into when I drive one drove into Belfield, oh goodness, and that was home. I felt like home. It doesn't always now when I go back, but but it it, it, it did then. Why doesn't it always? Well, because now? time moves on, and you know, sometimes with ex players, it's, it's sometimes a little bit spiky when you go back. Mm. Not the fans; the fans are brilliant, but sometimes the club. Oh, okay. Well, they are, they're just the way they are. Because they've they moved on and football moves on, is that what Well, it is? sometimes, and sometimes I don't like reminding of the past. And yeah. you can see that in lots of clubs. Clubs that have been successful and uh, aren't doing that well. Or, is that uh, quite a British thing? Because you look at teams in America, like take the baseball team, the New York Yankees, they celebrate their yeah, individual yeah. players. I, I, I don't think it, it doesn't come from Roberto, I don't think. I just think it comes from sometimes the attitude of people around the club. Oh, okay, yeah. You know, and it's, it's, I think it's the same with lots of clubs. You know, Roberto's embraced the history of the club, which is great. 
they're doing well in Europe now and play they'll win it and it'll bring back some really good times for them and it'll, it'll be fantastic but at the same time people don't like being reminded they haven't won it for so long and then mm. you know somebody from the past steps to the door and you know, it's right. another reminder another reminder so sometimes it's good and sometimes it's great because but, you're from a successful era yeah 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 point. yeah. but also I was from some bad areas as well <laughs> John we had some bad times as well as good times so you know, I just look at it now. I think sometimes when you're next player, it's sometimes get a better reception at other clubs when you walk through the door. Out of the managers you played under, specifically Everton, some very contrasting styles, weren't there? You've been in your autobiography, clearly, what a big fan of of Mike Walker. That's not a secret. No. Uh, why was that? I didn't think he knew about football. In all fairness, um, he did one training session with me. For two hours, and we did the same thing for two hours. And he was a goal, yeah. I, I was really looking forward when he came, to be fair, because I thought, well, he's from Colm Bay, all right, he's a rival from London, we used to fight all the time, but uh, he's a goalie, so I thought, oh, I'll be quite good, I might learn something. And then I realised when he came, oh, he got no chance. <laughs> no chance of learning anything. Because he just went on, he didn't have, he didn't have the depth of knowledge. Um, Dave Williams was, was really good, coach, but. It's it's hard when you've got established players to come in and do kiddie drills, which I thought, you know, and talk to people as they were kids. Dave would be fantastic with youth team players, brilliant, with a young team, you know, who's just coming together. But it's for us. Big personalities, of course, in the dressing Yeah, of course, of course it is. But also, also, we've been used to doing things a different way. We've been quite successful in, in lots of different ways. And you come in and you need to tell people. You don't, you don't need to just ram it down the throats. And we used to have jelly and ice cream mornings, which is supposed to be fun, and it just disguised running. You know, and sometimes he'd come out and he'd get to training like last minute, and then nobody picked him on his team. He could always tell a bad manager because nobody picks him on his team because he couldn't even cheat properly. <laughs> and he was, he was refing half the time. So, but as a fella, he's a lovely, lovely man. Mm. As a football manager, he was dangerous. <laughs> Dangerous because Who did you most you enjoy playing under? I, I think Howard, Howard was brilliant. Howard was doing things, you know, they go on about Arsenal Wenger coming to country doing this, that, and the other. Mm. Howard, Howard was, was ahead of him. We, we trained probably for half ten till quarter twelve, then we had the rest for quarter twelve. Uh, what he got all the young apprentices in the goal, and we smashed balls at him and tried to knock him out. Because that's what his, that's his, his manager should. Yeah, that's <laughs> his introduction to the apprenticeships. <laughs> and you know what the apprentices are like. They all stay in the goal. And you go, oh, yeah, we've got to impress the manager. They've thrown themselves at the ball. Everyone's smashing the balls at them. And concussed and all sorts. Again, it wouldn't happen now, to be fair. And then, then we'd probably run for a quarter of an hour. But his thing was based on over the season. Mm. So we, we started sort of slow. We went away for 10 days and played five games. We started quite slow, but we always finished strong. And nobody gets their medals in August. Mm. So he worked on the basis that we go over a season and we ticked over. And he, and he was good because he he allowed you to be you. He didn't change you too much. He, he got you in a team because of what you could do. Not was it not because he could change you to do something. He seemed he came across to the outside eye as quite a mild mannered <laughs> character. Is that is that accurate? Um, I think they were a great pair. Him, Colin were a great pair because if there was any any hassle, then they could both chew back. Don't forget, they've been, they've been top, top players. Sure. Is that important, do you think, if a, that a manager's been there at the top? Well, Colin was, um, Colin was brilliant because Colin was still one of the best players in training. Do you know what I mean? So, and Howard was good, to be fair to him. But you look at them and you're going, actually, they can play still. Mm. And don't forget, Howard played a few games with me, so he was playing manager for a while. Right, yeah. You know, he played in the reserves as once and... Every time he called for the ball, everybody passed it to him, <laughs> no matter where he was. <laughs> so he could have been on our goal line call for the ball. They go, yeah, yeah, you have that, Howard. You're the manager. Yeah, get me in the team. So, yeah, I think it's, I think they're real good parents, and I think successful partnerships make good managers and coaches. You know, you, you've got that blend of, well, like they were in midfield. They just clicked in midfield. Mm. Uh, and I, I think you need that blend. But, you know, if you ever went back at Howard, Colin chip in as well, which was a great combination. But Howard was... I always spent the first six months, probably, when I got the team properly, I've just given me nothing but grief. However, where I played, he just come and go, wasn't quite good enough. Yeah, that throw was bad, that kick was bad, he should have done this. And after six months, he came and he went well played. And I thought, oh, yes, at last. But he motivated you to say, every, every Monday I went in and went, I thought I was getting on my nerves, I'm going to shut him up. I thought I was getting on my nerves, he's going to shut him up. Every yeah. day I thought I was getting on my nerves. Yeah. 
but he probably knew me better than I knew myself. But he let players be players. Yeah. You know, if the if the lads went out on a Saturday and had a good drink, then they stayed on Monday, and he worked a bit harder. So he let them be men. Yeah, this is your you're in charge of your own destiny. If you want to mess this up here, that's your that's your problem. All the training sessions were good. He laid down a, a proper formation. We just played the same way. We went out to win every game. We never went anywhere to draw. And I know that is a great attitude to have. And he was quite good at using people. You know, he'd open the window at Stoke and listen to the crowd, blah, blah, do different things. Yeah. They always try and do different things. But in the main, he was quite good at keeping things ticking along. So if we were successful, he didn't think of that much. You did different things as well in the sense that you read you know, quite voraciously golf, boxing, looked at how different sportsmen approach. Well, yeah, but if you, if you, want, if you, if you want to be good... What is a goalkeeper? It's a combination of different things. Part of gymnast, part of boxer, part of weightlifter. I know. Got to be able to catch. Got to have a good eye. Good eye and coordination. So, there's, there's a, you know, you got to be able to move. So, it'd be stupid to look at things that other people do. It's it's a, it's a, it's an individual position within a team. So, you could box and see how they prepare. You know, and you'd say that controlled aggression from boxing because that's what you want controlled aggression as a goalkeeper you don't want to go over the top because then you start losing that and then you look at gymnasts how did he fall how did he move you know, how did he get that spring and you, you look at golfers again for balance because balance is the same for anything so you look at all different things and, and really if you if you think of your foot as a golf club you know, if we're teaching kids now you go right okay so you take your foot as a golf club right if you want to drive that ball up there what what technique to use if you want to chip it what technique to use if you want to hook it what technique to use if you want to curl it that way which so you can you can relate that back to your goalkeepers right if you've got a six foot player or six foot three player how do you kick the ball to him can you drop it in there do you chip it into his chest do you knock it over the top you would, remember you were talking about <laughs> in your book about Muhammad Ali mm-hmm. Training. Explain what that what you what you learnt and read about how Ali trained. And... Well, I, th- I think it was a joke to be fair. But you're supposed to train in water and people throwing stuff at him. <laughs> did you ever try that? Uh, no, but when I when I dislocated my ankle, I did I did an awful lot of, of uh, rehab in the water, mm. hopping up and down and running up and down in the water. Mm. And it is hard work. Yeah, I mean, a lot of boxers. Rocky Marciano, I think, was one of the first guys to start doing that, wasn't he? Just box under, used to shadow box under water. Yeah, and I, th- I think look, I think everything goes. If you can't look at a sport and learn something off it, there's something wrong. Mm. So you just, I just try to look at all the sports, and that's why I wanted a black shirt. That's why I try to mix my own oils. So I wouldn't use a club oil. I was trying to use my own oils. So I'd look at them, what they did, you know, what what I needed. So because I can only, I'm the only one that can play in my career. How did that go down with the dressing, rest of the dressing room? Did they get any stick for it? Because yeah, you always get stick. You always get stick, but again, you'll get stick until, and then if you produce, they don't give the monkeys. Yeah. For all they care, I could have come straight out of a nightclub at two o'clock in the morning, you know, gone to Mackey D's and then gone straight to the game and played well. They won't give monkeys. And no matter what they say now, people don't care what you do as long as you play well. It's only comes to a time where you become a nuisance or you go over the top that they get rid of you. So that's why people, you, you, you know, people like Gaza and people like that. If you've got a Gaza, you live with Gaza. You don't try and change Gaza. You just get everything, and then when he when he starts being a nuisance, you bin him. So Balotelli, are you going to change Balotelli? Not a chance. Mm. So you either buy him as he is and not try and change him, or you don't buy him. And loads of managers keep making the mistake of buying him. And there's, there's loads of players like that. There's loads of players who nearly were a good player. Uh, I think you know. And there's loads of players who've been top top class players, but as soon as their time's up, they bin him because it's a nuisance. But the nuisance in different ways. So yeah, loyalty works to a point. If you do right for them, then really they don't care. You spoke pretty favourably about Martinez from what I could pick up. Do you think he's the right man for the job then? I think he's the right. Yeah, I, I think people have got to realise that Howard nearly lost his job, and mm. um, we weren't playing really good football. We're probably playing better football now than we did under Howard. Most managers do, I guess, at some stage of their career. Yeah, yeah. Um, but club, the, the good thing now is, well, good thing and bad thing is is that he's in his comfort zone. Mm. He knows about a relegation fight because he's been hit before, so he's sure. got that experience. Um, the tragic thing is that we're in it because of the players we've got. We're good players. Did you overperform last season, do you think? Yeah, I think he overperformed, but there's not never reality checking football, is there? It only comes with results of the following season. Uh, you can see loads of teams that have played really, really well and then he go down a bit. It happens with a lot of promoted teams. Start off well and they go... Pfft, 
Well, I, I think I like the way he's trying to build. I like the way he's trying to play from the back. I, I like the whole things he does. I think it's blatantly obvious we ain't got a cutting edge at the moment. Uh, defensively, we're quite solid. Midfield, probably could do with another creative midfield player. How wide, we've got a bit of pace, not bad. Up front, we've got Lukaku, Naismith. Naismith, better in the air than Lukaku. Um, better movement. Lukaku, big and strong, but probably hasn't justified his £28 million tag yet. Mm. Or still a young kid. So you, you, you look at that and you think, yeah, that's a, they ain't a bad team. Not a bad team at all. It just, it just might take one thing to click. You know, think back to our time, bringing Peter Reid on at half time or second half. Just clicked and we went and boom, done. So yeah, it might take a click. Maybe that was, he was up with Alan Lennon. Mm. Maybe it'll be Ross Barkley because Ross Barkley's decisions at the moment are poor. He just keeps giving the ball away. But eventually, you know, something will click with him. He'll take a good bit of form and he could be the difference from staying up and going yeah, down. Sure. You know, but you look at him and you're thinking, Oh, he probably sums having the season up in Ross Barkley. Now and again, there's that little spark where you go, I'll tell you what, different class. But then the other times you're going, no. Because that's the, that again is Ross Barkley. You've got to live with Ross Barkley and you've got to say, don't matter how many times you lose the ball, just keep cracking on. Mm. As long as your decisions get better, you know, and you make better decisions and you don't give the ball away so much and you learn and you go, OK, we'll live with you. Take the rough with this move. Yeah, because you have to and I think you've got to trust him. Mm. But you have to play him a lot or you don't play him. You know, he's not really a massive impact player. So he's got to start and he hope it's his good day for him. But European football has seemed to have suited him. So he's done well in Europe. Mm. So, and again, you know, we were in a relegation battle but we won the FA Cup. Right. So maybe... It's a good home from that relegation battle, and we won a European Cup. But I, I like Roberto. I think he's got the right ideas. I think you got people have got to understand that it's not like anywhere else where he's got to go out and spend billions and billions of pounds because he ain't got it. So he's going to build, and it's going to be really, really slow. And it was a breath of fresh air when he came in, and I still think the football he's playing is decent football. It's good possession. People just want to see the cutting edge, and at the moment, the cutting edge is quite there. I want to talk about the work you're doing now, but I've got one more football question for you. Out of all the trophies that you won, was there one that was particularly special? For me, the best night of my life was buying Munich Cup semi-final. The medals are great, the finals were great, but if you, if you can epitomise a city, the spirit of the city, and the closeness of the people to the players, that's going to be that night. You see, I don't think... People go on and on about, oh, this special night, special night, but... Sometimes you get one night in your career where it just all comes right, but not in the way you think. You know, getting to the ground, being three quarters of an hour getting around the ground to try and get in the dressing room, number of people that were there, and then to go one down to a great side, to be fair, in Bayern Munich, and then come back and win 3 1. To be fair, physically, we absolutely smashed them. We had a little bit of class, but the people and the players. Was so close that night. I don't think you'll ever get the closeness again. Well, I never got it in any of the finals. I never got it in any of the game apart from that one game where they were so close. And I think that that was the that was the city in a nutshell. I think without them people there, I think it would have been away from home. We'd have got beat because, like I say, they've got a fantastic spirit. They determine people. They don't they don't sit back. They have a goal. They've they've, they've got class. They've they've got a, a touch of steel. So everything came together and. That, that to me says this is Liverpool as a city, and that is Liverpool, that is us getting a result because of, of of what's the the spirit of the city really. Let's talk about what you're doing now. I think it's fair to say you were an unconventional player in some respects. We co- you know we covered off some of the things you did things differently, and that's true in terms of your post playing career. You're doing something that most players, for whatever reason, don't seem to do, which is going back to your point about grassroots getting stuck in. And helping kids, what what inspired you to get involved in education? Well, I worked for several different people when I when I finished football, and one was a scheme to get lads back off the door through football into work. And we only had seven, and we got six of them back into work, which was nice. And I still see a couple of them now. One was never going to get back into work, to be fair, because he was incredibly lazy. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and whatever we did, he had a go. And he was a good lad, but sometimes a penny drops, sometimes it doesn't. At that particular time, it wasn't right for him. I think he is working now. 
but it, it was a good scheme and then I, I took that scheme and I went to oh yeah we had a we had a group of special needs kids come in and we used to do a lot of uh, ladder work coordination drills with them and they went back and their work was better when he went back because of all the coordination stuff we were doing. So we ended up there, iron coordination, obviously, and the writing and things. And uh, she offered me a job doing sport there. But the sport was not the sport. But I never did what I wanted to do there, in all fairness, because I became just somebody who wrote letters to companies. And I did have one lad who I couldn't wear out. I had him for two hours and he just ran and ran and ran and ran. But it was part of his... You know, problem. We had another lad who, who basically talked to his hand. We had another lad who, was, who just, he was funny. He said to me one day, oh, my uh, my dad took me to see a stripper. I said, oh, what was she like? He said, no, it was a fella. <laughs> <laughs> right, OK. What did you remember what you said back? I went, I know, I just say, say OK, that? OK, mate, yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it... But kids that have had difficulty for all kinds of reasons uh, adjusting and, and fitting in to... The normal environment. Well, no, no, this job is this, this job is like football. Education is like football. You get a good headmaster in the Howard Kendall or Alex Ferguson mould, and then he gets a good team, and in turn that team breeds has a good culture, and the environment is really good where you're not afraid to make mistakes and you're all in it together, and you you get that. But they don't all fit in because you get some players who come through who are injury prone and can't play. You get some who have problems settling in the area. You have some who are homesick. You have some who are just not good enough. And they're out of the depth. And that's the same as school. It's just, a, just business is the same as football. School's the same as football. Whatever goes on now, you, you, you need a good sense of humour to work in school. You need to be incredibly patient. But, but as a goalkeeper for me, if, if I look at my back four or my team, I've got no strengths and weaknesses of all of them. And I can't talk to you the same as I talk to somebody else. Because you might, you might like a telling off. This fella might go under. So you've got to know the psychology of, of, the, of the players. Mm. To get the best out of them, just you got, like management, I guess. yeah, yeah. But you are managing; you're managing ten people in front of you. Because if you go manage them ten people, you don't have to do anything. So, and that's what an effective team is. So, when when you come to a place like this, you you try and look at the kids and go right, okay, what's the best way of managing this child? But you could have done that and appropriated that into lots of different areas of education. What made you choose the arguably the hardest part, the, the children that maybe the most helped? To, well, when to, I went to work in a special school. The local council came round and said, right, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm supposed to be doing this. He went, well, come and do that with us. So I went to I went to a, a Prue in uh, Canterbury. And I never got to do that there either. And I came in and he said, right, OK, blah, 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 do your sport. I went, oh, OK. So I used to take him out in a mini bottle and all that. And again, we had, we had a lot of kids. We had 56-odd kids and they got to drive the mini bus and stuff. And it, but all I was trying to do was, was create an atmosphere where it was good fun. We learned, but they weren't afraid to make mistakes. Mm. And again, you have to get to know the kids. And that, that's the idea, but it's, it's taking that relationship and trying to build that relationship. And don't forget, I probably had a class of 11, 12, maximum, maximum 16. And I'm trying to build that relationship when I see them every day. And you've got, you've got now a, a you know, primary school teacher or you've got a secondary school teacher who has quadruple yeah. if not more yeah. and they have to try and make that relationship with the kid and they, they, how can you do that yeah, we, we have, we've got some brilliant brilliant teachers yeah, we've got some brilliant teachers here we've got four fantastic teachers here or five really but when you look at secondary schools and primary schools they're brilliant teachers they just here they are hands tied because of, of bureaucracy again you can't make relationships with people unless you have time with them and how would you get time when we have smaller classes and I find it quite incredible that we now push the most difficult kids onto our TAs, our teaching assistants, because they've been on a course, whereas our teachers have been to university. Surely the ones that need it most should have the most expertise, yeah. but we don't. And I think the way the way things are going, it's, it's like any football club. The ones at the top, you're, you're, you're world-class players, you have to stretch mentally and physically. You have to stretch them, stretch them, or you get bored. The ones in the middle, you have to stretch but you have to then support behind, just in case you don't quite get them the same thing. And at the bottom, you have to spend your time and effort stretching them in different ways. And now, it might be that they get the very, very basic qualifications, which Michael Gold tried to get rid of. But to them, that might be the first step to getting the second one, to getting the third, to getting the fourth. If we go 
that's not going to happen because that's not worth it. Well, it is to that child. How, how has he got a right to say to that child, you're not worth that? And I think sometimes every matters, every child matters, only matters when you've got money. Well, I'll ask you the same question about how we sort out FIFA. How do you sort out that very uh, structured, one-directional approach to education, by and large in this country? What is the solution to... Smaller classroom, time? smaller classrooms, um, more staff, um, and resources and money. So it's all down See, some, sometimes these kids in here get more opportunities than so-called good kids. Well, if you can call them good kids, or, or, or the kids who are just push on in their education because they don't go go-kind. Mm. They don't do this, they don't do that. They don't, they don't go free-running, they don't go this. So sometimes when you've got that combination of classes where you go, actually, I'm working my bits off here, and that fella's going go-karting. Does that create a bit of well, it's, conflict it's a, in the community? But, some, but why, why should you have to be pushed into our unit to get the opportunity to do that? Benefits, yeah. When why can't they all get it? Sure. You know, and I, I think so some, is that down to investment then? It's down to investment. It's also down to time and staff, because you have to have be top of the school league, parents kick off, and you've got to be the best school in the area, you've got to do this. Standards are going like that. But they're also, in some ways, going like that. So I think educationally, or, or in terms of results, things are going up. But in terms of relationship with the teachers and the workload the teachers got, and the relationship the, the teachers have with the kids, and the time they can spend with them, and the things they can do with them, has gone right down. You, you, you need a balance, don't you? PE for one. How many kids do PE these days? You're supposed to have a minimum of two and a half hours. Well, some, some don't get that. Some don't get that in primary schools because they don't want to teach it because it's so snowed under. Mm. So I, I do think sometimes that there needs to be uh, needs to be a way where if I'm good with my hands and not good academically, I, I want to do something with my hands in, in school. Why should I get disengaged in school? Have your confidence knocked? Yeah, when I should be able to do mechanics in school. I should be able to do this in school. I shouldn't have to come here and do it right, as, a, as, as a hook. But we also got to start putting lots and lots of money into primary schools. We're, again, like most governments do, there's the horse down there, oh, the gate's done, oh, let's don't try and fix this. We, we can't, you've got to fix it at the bottom. Mm. And a lot, there's a lot of kids get expelled from primary schools. There's an awful lot of trouble goes on in primary schools that nobody ever hears about. So you've got to try and fix resources, effort, time, patience, stop changing things around. There should be a, a load of head teachers who are, who are qualified and say, right, we're going to take the education system because you know nothing about it because you've come out of your business in a suit. You've never been in the classroom, hardly. And we, we will take it and it will stay separate and a separate budget from the government and let it run and let it be, let it be steady. Every time a government gets involved, there's a change. Who picks up a change? Mm. The teachers. What well, the teachers then going to go, hang on a minute, we're trying to do this, and I've changed to that, so now we're trying to fix that. We're now we're playing, yeah. well, we're playing catch-up. Mm, all the time. I do suffers. What have you found more challenging in your life, being a professional footballer and achieving what you did, or being a professional educator and achieving what you have? This is better for me in lots of ways. Because when you see... Look, we don't change kids, really. Kids change anyway. Because they change because of circumstances and opportunities you might give them. But they only change when they want to change. You can't flog a dead horse, can you? But you can have a strong influence. Of course, you can have influences, yeah, and you hope that things change. But sometimes they don't want to change. You have to accept that some people won't change. But you've got to give them, in here, you've got to give them as many opportunities to succeed, not to fail, to succeed. Now, if you have to give them 100, you give them 100. Like, part of my job is to bring businesses into the school and part of it is to get work experience. Now, when I go out with work experience here and say, well, I've got a lad here, and they go, where's he from? I say, oh, no, no, no. Because they automatically see them as bad kids. Well, they're not bad kids. They're good kids. They just need a break. You know, and I think sometimes perception is worse than what they actually get. And I do think we, we need to spend a bit of time and effort on trying to change the perception of so-called naughty kids in this country because of the... Oh, people only get <laughs> labelled by somebody else. They don't label themselves. Do they? That's walk, your walking, talking proof of this, aren't you? I mean, it's something very personal to you. It, it is, because our, what's our job in life? Is to give our children more opportunities than you had, and better opportunities, and hopefully take one of them. If they don't take them, 
There's so much you can do. But you have to you have to keep providing, providing. I've got for the last six months I've had I've had two foster kids. So it's been like going on from here to there. And it's been it's been, it's been quite quite similar in, in lots of ways. But again, opportunities. Does it matter if they fail fifteen times? But on the sixteenth time they succeed? No. Why would why would you get fed up after three? We'll just give them loads of opportunities. But we have to find the right employer with the right attitude. And if I come to you with one of these kids and say, well, you take one of these kids, you're oh, not sure. I've heard a bit of this. Oh, I'm not sure. I've had a bad experience. And you go, yeah, but that's then. And what about now? So you have to try and find... We, we, at the moment, we've got a fantastic woman up in a nursing home here, um, a care home, that one of the girls go to. She is brilliant. Similar situation to her. Had a baby when she was young, gone back to school. Lovely. Fantastic. Really understands where she's come from. We might take him down to a factory somewhere else and the fella's got no idea. And no, not having you. Or it falls apart after two days because he doesn't have the strategies. So what we're trying to get him to do here is to do the CV, go for an interview, so you see face to face. If it ain't going to work just by this, mm. it ain't going to work in the workplace. Mm. So we can try and take that out. But the idea is to try and give him loads and loads of opportunities. And if, if you do that, well, you've done your job, haven't you? To be a top player, top footballer, you've got to be very driven. And a lot of players seem to have the mindset where they dwell on their mistakes as opposed to necessarily celebrating But mistakes are just a way of learning. But how do you, do you appropriate that to education as well? Do you, do you find yourself getting a little bit preoccupied with kids that didn't work out that you tried to help versus all the successes that you've had? Both. Because if they failed, was it something we did? Was it something they did? Was it something in the middle? Was it a bit of both? What didn't we do for that child that we have to do next time? For, for theirs, it's continued to ladder. Can we do the next one right? Can we do the next one? Can, uh, that's all we did in football. Didn't play well this week. <sighs> got to change it. Do better next week. Then do better. Then do better. Then do better. Then do better. And you, you've got to aim for perfection. It, 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 it is hard. But then surely if you're going to do something, do it properly. <laughs> What's the point of doing it otherwise? And don't we owe it to these people to give them a chance? Because if we let these, if we let these kids go, and there's, there's, there's loads of them all over the country, your police bill's going to go up. <laughs> Your social services bill's going to go up. Your probably hospital bills are going to go up. So everything's going to go up. So economically, to me, it makes sense to throw the money into the schools and surround that school with the best support. Not just this school, I mean, all the primary schools. Mm. Education psychologists, to get, to get to see one of them, it's like getting to see the Pope. I mean, if your kid comes in, I'm, I'm convinced in a primary school, then everything should be done at primary school level. Every sort of assessment you could possibly think, from hearing, eyesight, everything all the way through. And you get them. So there's your bank of, of tests. Right, as soon as you leave this primary school, you're going to get it done before you go to secondary school. Mm. And then we know what we're dealing with. Sometimes we, they come here and we don't know what we're dealing with. A lot of times you do, but in school, if you move schools, you don't know what you're dealing with and, and, and people are apt to leave bits off. Do you know what I mean? And you've got to fill in the gap sometimes. But we have all sorts of kids through here. But you're not going to tell me that none of them have got any talent. We've just got to find a talent. And if you find a talent, that's our job. You know, we're, we're miners. I know it's a good place for Wales to be miners, but we've just got to find that one bit of talent that they're good at. And like I say, how did you know what you were good at? How many things did you try? So you have to keep trying and trying and trying, and sometimes they go, this is shit. <laughs> it's just shit. We're not doing it, it's shit. And yeah. you go, OK, fair enough. Let's move on. Yeah, let's try it another way. What about this? And But sometimes... We've got an idea, I, oh, I'm convinced would be fantastic at buying and selling. He's just got that. Yeah. Got a lovely way with him. Might yeah. be fantastic in a dressing room. Yeah. He's got all that. He's got a bit of banter. He'd be great. Oh, what about buying and selling? No. No. So your, your job is, is similar to a coach and a manager here that you, you listen to them. You know, even when they're talking to their mates, you listen to them and say, well, OK, what? So you might talk about scooters or whatever. You might talk about bikes or whatever. You go, oh, OK, maybe he's interested in that, so maybe I can use that. What do you fancy about that? Yeah. Oh, I'm not sure about that. What about this? What about that? So you can, you can, you can try and match them. Yeah. It's, it's really, really hard at times because sometimes the things that go on in their background, same as any other school, influences what they do here. Sure. And that's just that's the way life is. So sometimes it can come in and it can be brilliant. Next day it can come in and be... Paying a bum, but that's the same in secondary school, same in primary school. So you have to take it into account all the outside influences as well. And sometimes it's difficult, but 
if you have a real good support system around each school, then I think you've got half a chance. And, and if we can't invest in them, who the hell are we going to invest in? You know, they keep telling me that there's a lack of skills, there's a lack of empathy, there's a lack of this, look at that. Well, no wonder there is, because we don't invest. And each government goes, oh, we'll save this, we'll save that. Mm. Well, you're not, because we've got proof. You're not doing these kids, these kids are, are old, a decent a decent chance. And we don't give them a decent chance half the time. We give them half a chance. And we should be giving them a full chance, otherwise what's the point of having school? What's the point? No, there's no point, is there? What's the point of you having kids if you, if you can bring them up as much as well as you want? You want? Well, the school can't provide that support and that interest and that academic stretching and, and giving them the, the, the level of qualification that suits them and, and the learning that suits them. And There's no point in having school, is there? We got, we got, I think sometimes you've got to take it out of politicians because, let's be honest, they're the least trustworthy people in the world half the time, aren't they? <laughs> well, they are because of their backgrounds and what they've done. And More than I, certain I, FIFA execs? Uh, no, I wouldn't go that far, to be fair. I do, I do think I would like to see the politicians going to school without the ties, without the suits, and just come dressed as you, but don't tell anybody who you are, and just wander around. The farm arts just wander around. What, why do they need to come in the suit? Why do they need to have a tie on? Yeah. Why can't they just come in and go, no fuss, no nothing, don't tell anybody? And someone goes, yeah, but I was you and in school, actually, I've been to that, so that, 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 that. And then all the things people really, we've got a really good relationship with the council here. Really good, to be fair. They've been brilliant. In fact, that one of them's ever told me makes it even easier. <laughs> You've got a nice big company up the road who are really, really good for us. And he's never told me, which is great. So that I have found sure. one of the best things to be an Evertonian. Yeah. Because they go, yeah, what do you want? What about, oh, I'll help you do that. Yeah, yeah, I'm Evertonian, I'll help you do that. Yeah. You know, we just try to do things with a, a virtual learning thing, which is it was pretty brand new, Evertonian. So it does work. Yeah. And on Twitter works really well for me. Because yeah. if you don't know something, just tweet, oh, yeah, I do that, do that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, th- I think we could do a lot better for our kids, but then where do you get the money from? That's, that's the other issue, but I'm sure you could find that somewhere.